Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion, that USDA program. It's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Shall we play a game? When I was growing up, one of my favorite movies was the 1983 Cold War classic, War Games. It featured a spooky military computer, the Whopper, that turned on its engineers and almost launched a nuclear attack. Well, the Whopper spends all its time thinking about World War III. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, it plays an endless series of war games. War games grappled with a classic sci-fi question. What happens when the machines are smarter than the humans? Last November, with the launch of the artificial intelligence platform ChatGPT, that question suddenly became very real. It marked the beginning of a new era in technology, one that has enormous implications for the economy and our nation's politics. On Capitol Hill, members of Congress suddenly needed answers about the coming disruption, such as the common belief that AI might replace millions of white-collar jobs in the near future. But as you might expect, many members of Congress are basically computer illiterate. So when they needed an expert to understand the AI revolution, the guy they turned to was a video game developer from Southern California, Congressman Jay Obernolte. I'm Ryan Lizza. This is Playbook Deep Dive. Jay Obernolte is not your average member of the House. While his future peers in Washington were joining the college Republicans or college Democrats, he was at Caltech writing code for his side hustle. When they got law degrees or internships on Capitol Hill, Obernolte got a master's in artificial intelligence. And as those same future congressional colleagues were climbing the political ladder in their home states, he was building a very successful video game company that is now 35 years old. He did eventually jump into politics, Obernolte was the mayor of Big Bear Lake, California, and then he went on to serve in the California State Assembly. He won his House seat in 2020, and he now sits on the powerful Energy and Commerce Committee, which claims jurisdiction over AI policy. Obernolte is, according to fellow members of Congress, the guy you need to know on this issue. I met with him somewhere in the bowels of ENC, where we talked about how to approach the regulation of AI and what we should really be worried about when it comes to AI. Spoiler alert, it's jobs, not some rogue chatbot with dreams of becoming T-1000 from Terminator 2. And we also discussed whether or not there is any plan or any hope for bipartisan cooperation to soften the blow of the predicted white-collar job apocalypse. What's your fear in your profession up here in Congress? Not to fear or hope. What is AI good for um, that could replace some of the things that, that Congress uh, does? Interesting. I hadn't actually thought about this. <laughs> uh, Can it write legislation? Like, Ted Lieu wrote a bill, I think, with, uh, sure. with ChatGPT. Yeah. It wasn't a very complicated I, bill. I think but, someone had a floor speech written by And yeah, someone had a yeah, floor speech. Yeah. So we see these kind of gimmicky things. 
But is there something, I mean, I, I assume uh, there have been stories about, uh, what is it called, Legis Pro, I think, mm -hmm. the, the software that helps uh, keep track of bills and uh, tell one version of a bill from another. Mm -hmm. It's starting to use AI a, a little bit more. Are there things in your day-to-day -day life here in Congress that AI could uh, start to address? Well, certainly. Uh, the challenge of being a member of Congress legislating on such a wide variety of different issues and having to be knowledgeable about every single one of them at really an expert level to be able to create legislation that solves problems in a meaningful way. So uh, just uh, having access to that information in a condensed way is very helpful. And AI is great at that. AI is great at organizing information. So I can imagine that you could say, hey, I'm walking into a hearing on uh, you know, the Ohio train derailment. Uh, can you tell me how often vinyl chloride is transmit is transported in the United States and other similar accidents that have happened? Yeah. And there's information that would be very difficult for my staff to go gather. It would probably take uh, one of my legislative assistants an afternoon to go get that information. AI could deliver it right to me. So, uh, you know, that that's a, a positive example. Uh, let me bring up a negative example, though, because he, this is another thing that, that I worry about with AI. Uh, AI is so spectacularly good at predicting future human behavior, I wonder if we're more open to emotional manipulation because of AI. Mm. You know, for example, in a political sense, you know, our, the two political parties have gotten very good at weaponizing social media and yeah. not in a way that's beneficial to society. You know, in fact, I think that's part of the problem with Congress is that, uh, you know, we've, we've allowed this weaponization by the political parties to affect our relationships with each other. And it's become much more tribal here than it used to be, and I don't think that that's a good thing. I wish we could, you know, restore some of that that uh, you know that uh, the the relationship aspect of our job. That's really interesting because that that is one thing I've been thinking about a lot. Is every decade or so, there's one new technology that really transforms campaigns. You know, I remember um, when YouTube came along, that was a, a big deal for presidential campaigns. Uh, the rise of social media, obviously, there was a sort of, you know, a moment when Twitter sort of took over um, uh, online fundraising, mm -hmm. you know, John McCain in the New Hampshire primary, he was one of the first people in 2000 really to harness the internet as a, as a way to um, raise money from small dollar donors across the country. And obviously, that became very, very important. Um, you can think of pl plenty of other examples in the last 25 years. What as we go into the next presidential campaign um, and the one after that, uh, where do you see AI having an, an impact both for good and, and harm? So if you think about what AI does, you know, taking lots of data, past uh, circumstances, putting it all together and synergizing it to be able to predict future behaviors based on different actions. Yeah. Uh, you can imagine that you could train an algorithm to say, look, I want, uh, I've got a problem with this voting block. Uh, give me a message that I can use that would be optimal, optimal to move that voting block. Yeah. And, you know, you turn the crank and AI comes with, out with, oh, well, you should uh, accuse your opponent of uh, insensitivity to veterans' issues. You know, and that's the number one thing. And, you yeah. know, it's right now. We're already, and we're already doing that. Campaigns are already doing that. Well, sure, this might but, be I mean, easier and quicker and more sophisticated. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is what campaigns do is we guess, right? We come up with 
10 different issues and we go poll yeah. and try and figure out what issue is going to move the, the needle. But I mean, the AI could do that without even polling because because of how you know spookily accurate it is at predicting human behavior. Did you ever apply any of your um, computer science <laughs> knowledge to any of the, the traditional campaign uh, uh, activities? Yes, but only in an organizational sense. What'd you do? Uh, so I, when I first ran for city council, uh, we took the voting rolls, which were all electronic, and uh, organized them in these huge spreadsheets uh, with some formulas that I'd written. Huh. Uh, we had uh, a, a, a kind of a, a meeting where I, I invited all of my friends and supporters, and we went through those voting rolls, identifying people that they knew. And those people, I would host a little gathering for each one of my supporters and invite the people that they knew. But the invitation came from the supporter, not from me. You know, so they got smart, you know, and then at that, you know, we, we identified a new group of supporters and had them identify people. And so by the end of it, we had, I'd had a personal contact with over half of the voters, it, you know, not, not, not like personally had met me, but had gotten an invitation from someone they knew saying, hey, we support Jay Obernolte. Uh, you should too. Please come and meet him at blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and, uh, and it worked. I got more votes than anyone ever has in uh, the history of, uh, of the city. Wow. Uh, in that in that first election, so yeah, it, it did work. But I mean, I wasn't. Uh, I thought that that was totally fair, right? Because those tools were unethical. available to anybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the level of um, interest in the subject and the, the level of knowledge? How much do you find yourself uh, educating uh, your colleagues? Oh, quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a, a lot of interest in broadening people's knowledge about AI. Yeah. Uh, I always start with a, a non-technical description of what AI is and what it's not, and in particular, the dangers of AI are. Because most people, not just members of Congress, but most people, if you ask them what is dangerous about AI, they envision a Terminator-type situation with e where an How? army of evil robots with red laser eyes take over the world. Yeah. Which is not something that keeps me up at night. You know, You're not worry about that. <laughs> AI has, has very real dangers. Some of them just as serious as that in their consequence, but uh, but uh, you know a, a lot more uh, subtle in the way that they they interact with us as economically and uh, interfere with our relationships with each other. I think those are much more real dangers. Well, let's let's go through some of those. Mm -hmm. What are what are the the ethical issues that we need to be aware of? So, and non-ethical. Sure. Well, I mean, we talk about like what do I worry about? Yeah. When when I look at yeah, if it's the not the robots AI, with the red lasers, sure. what is it? Uh, well, I mean, a few things. First of all, AI has the potential to create an incredibly accurate surveillance state, which is the the use for which countries like China are putting it to. Uh, I think that's pretty uh, Orwellian if you think about that being applied here. And then just to uh, drill down on that, that that's, that's what? Just the, in terms of like s specifics, it's facial recognition combined with vast databases and... Sure. I mean, that's, that facial recognition is where it starts. Yeah. But AI also has the ability to make eerily accurate predictions of future human behavior. So uh, countries like China are taking... Um, associations, you know, who do you, who do you who do you hang out with? Where do you go? And combining it with this vast trove of information about people to make predictions of about who's a dissident, who agrees with the government, who disagrees with the government, how loyal are people? Uh, and you know, AI is really good at that. Yeah. So that's certainly a you know a non uh, beneficial use that AI can be put to. But you know, I also worry about 
the ways that AI can be used to create economic situations that look very and act very much like monopolies. So if you think about uh, the way that AI is employed, uh, and this gets a little bit technical, and I, I, spend, okay. I spend a lot of time walking my colleagues through this. Yeah, walk our listeners you know, through it. Well, I mean, we you, you look at what the EU is trying to do with regulating AI. Right. They're, they're ahead of us in, in terms of regulation. Well, I mean, I don't know if you might you not say define, ahead. <laughs> yeah, they're certainly uh, they're certainly acting more precipitously. I think would be you know a better way of describing it. But they're focused yeah. on the algorithms. They want to regulate the algorithms, and they want the government you know put a stamp of approval on. Uh, on algorithms and and what uses they can be put to, but I think that that's misguided because to me the algorithms are pretty simple. They're well understood. It's you know machine learning. You could probably sit down and understand how machine learning works in an hour. Okay, uh, it's not difficult to to understand. Uh, but what makes AI work is these huge sets of data that you use to train the algorithms. I mean, to give you an example, say that you were going to. Uh, create a, a piece of AI to identify uh, emergent tumors from a CT scan, okay, which is indeed a use that AI is being put to. Yeah. Uh, I could architect, you know, in a day, uh, a machine learning system to do that. You know, that, that's not rocket science, it's well understood. But what what is also needed is this set of millions and millions of cases of CT scans that had tumors and millions and millions that did not. And then you you train yeah. the algorithm with those those to create, you know, the, the actual piece of, of information that you can then turn the crank and give it a novel scan and have it tell you whether or not there's a tumor there, right? So uh, think about this. The, the people with the power there are the people that have access to all of that data. It does you no good to create an algorithm without the data. You need the data to train it. So, you know, think about how that data has been accumulated in the hands of just a few companies. Uh, and think about the- and That's happening now? Yes, well, I mean, certainly it's-, it's How, so they're, they're going around and to radiologists and buying their uh, CT oh, no, scans? No, not, or? I mean, uh, not specifically in, in the domain of, of uh, medical imaging, but I mean, talking about thing, companies like Google, companies like Amazon, you know, if you ask Amazon, uh, they're very transparent about the fact that they are a, a data company. Right. You know, they are not a, a retailer. You yeah. know, they collect information about uh, about what you like, so that they can sell you other things that you like, and they're very successful at it. So, yeah. and, and and you know, not to throw these companies under the bus either. But well, great, Amazon's a great example. They just bought One Medical. I, I use One Medical here in DC. Mm -hmm. It's very popular. They're now my healthcare provider. <laughs> sure. But great example of what you're talking about is sure. sort of extending their reach and being able to combine now theoretically medical data with consumer mm -hmm. uh, uh, data, right? Well, and if you think about the role of government, you know, I think one of our most important roles, and uh, you know, this is a bipartisan opinion, uh, is uh, to, to ensure the functioning of uh, free markets, right? And what we've learned you know, to our misfortune is that sometimes very powerful companies can manipulate the markets to create monopolies for themselves that are not beneficial to society. And that starts with, you know, the standard oils and the Ma Bells. But a modern version of that might be that we have this data concentrated in the hands of a very few companies who use that to create what are you know, essentially monopolistic conditions in the employment of AI because other people don't have the data necessary to create AI that works well. 
So what's the tool to address that problem? Is it antitrust once they've gotten too big, or is it to get ahead of the curve and uh, prevent that kind of monopolization? Well, I mean, I think we have to start with transparency. Yeah. So uh, that is why I think that data privacy needs to be something that uh, that Congress federally preempts. Uh, right now, the situation is that uh, the EU is far ahead of us, and I will use that word to describe the situation here. I mean, they, they are far ahead of us in creating a standard for digital privacy. Uh, here, we have delegated that to the states, and so some states are far ahead of others. Uh, I was uh, deeply involved in the uh, the drafting and passage of the California Consumer Privacy Act when I was in the state legislature. Uh, and now know, that's considered sort of gold standard for Well, I mean, it's certainly the farthest reaching set of privacy le legislation that's been enacted in the United States. Yeah. Unfortunately, what, what, we're, what we're seeing now is a patchwork of 50 different state regulations that's going to exist. And that's very destructive to entrepreneurialism, if you think about it. The people yeah. that have the legal sophistication to deal with a framework like that are the big companies. And the, the people that don't are two guys in a garage, yeah. you know, starting the next Apple. So uh, I, I think we need to preempt that from the states, I think that that's uh, an area so obviously related to interstate commerce that it needs a federal standard and not 50 different state standards. And I think that that we start to solve the problem with, uh, you know, the, this the potential problems with AI by bringing more transparency to data, starting with data privacy. You know, what data belongs to you? What data are, is our companies allowed to collect about you? How much knowledge? Do you have about that data and the uses to which it is employed? Uh, you know, I, I think that's a great place to start. On that issue, do you see bipartisan interest and support for that, or are the two parties uh, uh, divided as a sort of cross current? Oh, uh, certainly, cross cutting this is coalition. A bipartisan interest. Uh, you know, yeah. the uh, we had a piece of uh, privacy legislation passed last year out of Energy and Commerce on an. Uh, I think there were only two two votes in opposition, broad bipartisan support. Uh, we we're having that discussion again this year to try and advance that a little further. Uh, there are certainly some of the minutiae that there's disagreement over, topics like uh, private right of action, uh, topics like uh, pre the degree of preemption from the states. Those are topics that we are discussing. But, you know, in terms of the need for legislation, uh, I think it's you can characterize that as broadly bipartisan. Okay, so that that's uh, one bucket, the sort of surveillance uh, fear uh, of AI. What else is that? What else is in the category of not the robots with red lasers, but sure <laughs> this set of, th this set of issues? Well, I mean, I think you have to acknowledge the degree of economic disruption that widespread adoption AI, of AI is going to cause, uh, and there are parallels in human history. Of course, the industrial revolution. The uh, mechanization of the production of cloth in Europe, you know, displaced a lot of workers, and there was widespread angst about this. Uh, hmm. You know, looking back, the mechanization of the production of cloth. Yeah. Huh. And what what era was that? Oh, that was the start of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, the uh, you know the term luddite uh, comes from smashing the, the uh, yes, machines, smashing the machines, yeah. because you yeah. know the, from their point of view. You know, they, they, oh, and they were text, those were, were textile just, machines. Yeah, yeah right. I forgot that. That's okay. right. Yeah. So they, they, from the point of view of the workers, these machines were taking away their jobs. But, you know, from – but it also created widespread availability of high-quality, low-cost clothing for the first time in human history. Yeah. So you can't argue that it was bad for society. Exactly. So, I mean, this is a great example of, you know, what we have to, uh, you know, to, to plan for with AI because AI is going to cause – 
a, a similarly chaotic shift in what people make their living doing. Uh, and we need to prepare as a society for that because, again, just, just like the revolution in textiles, this is something that's going to be very beneficial to society. But at the same time, you know, we have to, we have to plan for uh, making this transition bearable for the people that it is going to displace. Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. You see various predictions about what industries and jobs it will uh, sort of crush in the in the near term. What's your what's your view of the industries that need to be the most uh, concerned about that transition? Oh, uh, it's definitely the white collar jobs, middle white collar jobs, uh, lawyers, doctors, accountants. Those are the the, the fields that are going to be displaced. Uh, you know, you can imagine that. Uh, if it hasn't happened already in the near future, AI is going to be better at reading CT scans than than humans are. So that's you know that's if you're a radiologist, that that's not a good thing for you. For society, it's a great thing because if you're a patient, you get your scan read more accurately for less money. So you know that the this is a great example of the trade-offs. Yeah, and. Yeah, for accountants, you you sure. already have the ability to feed a lot of economic data into a tax writing program mm -hmm. that will organize your, uh, your 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 deductions that sure. kind of thing, and that that's just going to that kind of thing is just going to accelerate where the well, idea well, of hiring one, an accountant will be. Yeah, well, one layer up, you know, the inferences. Yeah, uh, give me a you know, tell me why our our profit is down this year compared with last year. Yeah, you know, that's something that AI can answer uh, very thoroughly. You know that whereas uh, several years ago, you know, it, it was not geared towards answering a question like that. Uh, lawyers, you know, entry-level law, write me a will, you know, covering this certain situation. So those are the kinds of things that, that are going to be displaced first. What's your uh, preferred solution for that? Is it some kind of uh, government intervention or government retraining or um, – you know, something on the scale of uh, what we saw during the pandemic when suddenly uh, uh, millions of people were out of work. How do you go to the accountants and the whole upper middle class white collar uh, world and address this coming change? Because mm. if, if it's the way you describe it, I mean, that's a massive, massive, massive societal change. Yes, it is. But I mean, it's important to note it's not going to happen overnight. This is going to be an evolving situation. So we've got some time, uh, and the solution is not going to be simple and not going to have only one facet. It's going to be multifaceted on, in a lot of different ways. So, I mean, I think we start by being realistic about what the jobs of tomorrow are going to look like. So, and uh, we go and, and alter our educational institutions to be able to provide for those needs. Uh, we are not graduating nearly enough computer science professionals. We have this 
historical bias in this country that education is something that one acquires at the beginning of your life. Mm. And then you go out and lead a productive career using the education that you acquired. Yeah. Uh, that is thinking from 100 years ago. You know, that's certainly not going to be the case 100 years from now. Education is going to be something that we all uh, have to acquire as a lifetime pursuit. So, you know, as a society, we need to look at that and say, well, what does that look like? Does that you know, it make, makes degrees less of a requirement, certainly, but it means that uh, empowerment of individuals as lifetime learners is important. And AI actually can help with that. So, I mean, we, it's really as a, an, a, a change of mindset when we approach education. You know, and then, and then, I mean, and then we could go on and on and on. But those, uh, yeah. it's, it, there's a lot of different facets. There, there have to be a lot of different facets to our response. Got it. In the same way that uh, the speed of microprocessors accelerated uh, uh, at a, a, a certain uh, rate every year, um, do you think that AI is on a similar course? In, in that, uh, you just said a few years from now, most people are. are becoming familiar with the topic just now. <laughs> so what's the speed at which this uh, AI is going to get more sophisticated and um, start to sort of work its way through some of the, and, and displace some of these jobs in some of the industries you've outlined? I don't think it is a linear process or, or even one that uh, you can apply a mathematical model to. I think many people are familiar with Moore's law, which yeah. predicted the uh, explosion in the processing power of computers very accurately. Mm. Uh, but uh, I don't think you can make that inference with AI because AI really doesn't work that way. Uh, AI is only as good as the training sets that you design to train it with. Uh, so it's always going to require a kind of a human intervention to try and architect, you know, how to make AI do what you want it to do. Uh, there have been some really interesting academic discussions about when AI gets smart enough to train itself. Uh, but it, that is largely theoretical so far. So I, I don't think that at this point we can sit down and say it's going to get smarter and smarter and smarter. Uh, to me, interesting, you know, G, chat GPT yeah. uh, it is really – you play around with it a lot? Oh, I, I mean, I don't know about a lot. Yeah, uh, but you've, you've explored it. No, certainly. Yeah, yeah. I find it fascinating. Yeah. I, I find it interesting from the sense of, uh, uh, of the Turing test. And I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. You know, the question is, is AI ever going to be smart enough to pass the Turing test? You know, chat GPT actually comes pretty close. Yeah. Pretty close. Yeah. And the question is, will it ever get to, you know, that last little bit? What else have you done with ChatGPT to sort of, uh, as someone who understands uh, AI and is not just playing around with it, but understands it a little bit more uh, from a technical perspective and even a philosophical perspective, what have, uh, what, what have you done with it to sort of test it? Well, you know, what's interesting is uh, when, when I play with it, I'm, I'm looking at it as a computer scientist. And I like to contrast that to, for example, some of the journalists who have, you know, had pretty alarming interactions with it. Uh, but, you know, it's interesting to me. It's just doing what it's trained to do, and it's trained to answer questions and be helpful. <laughs> so if you're going to force it to talk about how it would go about destroying the world, you know, for example, uh, as some some people have done, yeah. you know, it will – it's just – it's a mirror, right? It's it, it's going to tell you – it's going to say, I don't think this is a productive discussion. And if you force it to, it'll be like, all right, I mean, here's – here's you know, that's – to me, that's not alarming. It, it, it's, it's, just, it's just – it's just – it's just bringing it's just sucking in data about that subject and putting it into a coherent narrative in front exactly of you. right and it's doing you know what you asked it to do right 
Um, right. It does illustrate another danger of AI, I think, that we are not talking enough about as a society. And that is that, you know, already we are losing our ability to interact with each other because uh, devices have taken up so much of our mind space that way. Uh, yeah. Japan's had kind of a more advanced version of this problem where people have these virtual, uh, you know, virtual companions that they talk to while they're at work, you know, like, yeah. oh, I can't wait for you to get home. And they're talking back to, and it, it blows my mind, but because I can't imagine myself ever doing this, but this is a real problem. So, you know, imagine, what are they called? I don't know about this. This is like, yeah, you bet. If you don't have a, a partner at home, you That's have right. a, a sort of a computer it's, AI yes. personality. Yeah, it'll text you throughout the day and, you know. And like what's for dinner and. Uh, I, I don't want to talk about dinner, but, you know, it's, it's people, you know, crave. We're, we're social creatures and we crave this interaction. And, That's so interesting. You know, uh, but fast forward now, you know, look at ChatGPT. Yeah. And imagine that kind of technology used in a scenario like that. You know, the question is, will we prefer the company of a computer to the company of each other. That's a very dangerous scenario. And I think a very, you know, kind of a real risk and danger of AI. We have to be very careful about that. Thank you very much for doing this fascinating conversation. Sure. Yeah, really I appreciate it. it. Absolutely. And in a few years' time, you'll probably just be doing this with an AI computer. So thanks, mm, for, right. thanks for <laughs> indulging a human. <laughs> And that's our show. Our producers are Kara Tabor and Afra Abdullah. Our senior producer is Alex Keeney. I'm Ryan Lizza, host and executive producer of Deep Dive. Jenny Almond is Politico's executive producer of audio, who could never be replaced by artificial intelligence. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Please subscribe to Deep Dive wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. <laughs>